Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. We've been talking a lot of Eagles, a lot of 76ers, and a little bit of Phillies, but we need some more depth. We need a little bit more information that maybe I am de- I am delivering to you. So for that, we need the experts to join us. And we're so nice enough to have someone on the line right now. Uh, this individual uh, is the uh, uh, columnist uh, for Philly's columnist, excuse me, for the Philly Voice, working the Beat podcast with the one Mike Kern. Spent many, many, many years going in and out of locker rooms for the professional teams uh, here in this town. And, oh, by the way, has the same amount of wins in the year 2020 as James Franklin. Kevin Cooney's nice enough to join us. What's up, Kev? Uh, you know I'm not a James Franklin fan, but that's even a low blow there, Johnson. You know? <laughs> I mean, I didn't plan – Kev, I didn't plan on bringing this up at all, but, I mean, Penn State has never been 0-5 in the program's history. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, there were a lot of years where they didn't lose – there were some decades they didn't lose – five games so for them to lose five games is is a big deal I mean look this was a strange year for them they never did get the quarterback situation right and to be bluntly honest I think anything in college football this year you take with a grain of salt because this is just so off key and you went from the season being canceled to them back on and and all that so James Franklin would get a pass uh, but it's obviously not been exactly the way everybody thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Well, Kev, let's start with some positive talk, and then we'll slowly creep into the uh, – we'll work our way down to the less positive. Let's start with the basketball team in this town who has been uh, – with the new president of basketball operations, has been uh, most impressive in the very short time that he has been there. The NBA draft took place on uh, just the other night, and uh, many moves were made. Uh, Kev, just your initial uh, impressions of Daryl Morey just two weeks into the job. He's not Colangelo. I think that's the <laughs> one best thing you could say about him at this point. Um, because you've seen creativity, John. I mean, you, you know, the idea that he was – when we talked a couple months ago, Horford, Al Horford looked like he was going to be an anchor. He was an albatross. Mm-hmm. And who the hell would take him? Well, you found a way to get rid of him. And you found a way to – maneuver contracts to where you fill a couple holes, you know, with, with Seth Curry, uh, with Danny Green. You've got some experience in here, guys who have won and played well and are big players. They're not going to overshadow, obviously, Simmons and Embiid. You kept Tobias here, who's an effective third wheel. You could still maybe go and, and – yeah, salary room that you can maybe go and, and, and find a way to get somebody else in here and keep your options open. There's a lot of flexibility and that's a big testament to Maury. And look, getting Dwight Howard in here, it, 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 it allows them to, to move and be to power forward if they want, if they want to have both of them on the floor. But more importantly, it allows that if Embiid needs a night off, you have a guy who's 
more than serviceable to play, and he's not going to be the contract that Horford was. Right. Well, something I'm curious to, to hear your response to from, you know, just covering numerous athletes and teams over the years. The, the questions have always been about the Embiid-Simmons pairing and can that work mm-hmm. long-term and then unlocking what uh, Simmons is unwilling to do and then uh, that physique with uh, Embiid keeping him uh, in, in peak condition. Sure. Um, you've covered teams where there certain players and pairings, things didn't work out well. How much more time, assuming this is the roster, with a handful of small tweaks, but assuming it's an Embiid and Simmons-led team for this upcoming season, how mm-hmm. much longer uh, should this organization uh, wait if it's not successful before uh, splitting them up? Well, I think now the obvious thing is you got to give maybe a year or two because of Doc Rivers and, and to see what, if Doc's influence can weigh. Look, the main dynamic here is Simmons with the shot. I mean, and Bean's career is probably going to be – is not going to be a long one. You and I have talked about this. And it's not just because of his – physical condition it's the fact that for a center like him and especially with the injury he had with the feet and the ankle and the knee and all that it, it, it's tough to judge that he's going to be around in, in seven eight years to, to really make a difference and still be an elite level player Simmons could be that if they could unleash him with a jump shot mm. even a mid-range I'm not even saying threes just a mid-range shot that makes guys play honest um so you give Doc a couple of years to kind of see if the change in the voice, you know, maybe 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 which of a call was was too was too easy on him. Mm-hmm. Maybe Brent was too easy on him and not really able to uh, be the disciplinarian. Doc, I don't think will have that problem. Yeah, Doc has the cachet that he can do it. So I think that's where this dynamic's going to be. And to be honest, I think that's why. You give it two years, and then you make a decision whether you're going to go for it. Because let's be honest, too, John. This year is going to be kind of like we mentioned with college football. This is going to be a weird year coming up in the NFL because you don't know how many games are going to be played without people in the stands. You don't know how many games are going to get played, period, with COVID stuff. Right. Well, let me transition that conversation into the Eagles then. If you're Jeffrey Lurie and you're trying to figure out what to do moving forward, we, we, I mean, we know what we're watching with our own two eyes, and we've heard a lot of what has been said. If you're Jeffrey Lurie, how much do you put into your decision-making that how unique a season this is due to COVID? I think it's less so with the Eagles, and here's why, because this is a long-range issue with their drafting. And if we're talking decision-making, drafting and development, okay, and, and they go hand-in-hand, hand. the drafting, obviously, part has been failing under Howie Roseman. Mm-hmm. And the development part, and you can see it. You know, look at Nelson Aguilar. Look at and how he's developed since he left here. Yeah. Look at Sidney Jones, how he's played well in Jacksonville, away from Jim Schwartz. And to be honest, look at Carson Wentz. And what's happened with Carson Wentz after Frank Reich has left. That's where you have to be able to make a decision on your personnel. I don't think this is a COVID issue. I think this is more of a your roster stinks issue. And that falls on the GM and the head coach. Well, here's something that uh, that I'm very curious to hear your response to because we talk about the roster construction, which uh, most certainly plays a factor, uh, but also the players in-house, at least those who feel that their job is secured, about holding some accountable. And the conversation the last, uh, I guess, really two weeks has been about you hear the report about Carson Wentz is lazy in practice, that he kind of – and then it – 
transitions over into games and nobody's really holding his feet to the fire because mm-hmm. he might be thin-skinned, uh, which the head coach denied, the quarterback denied. Then on Thursday, Brandon Graham, of all people, and he's and I appreciate Brandon, he's always brutally honest, said something yeah. when asked about um, uh, the, the, how everybody is in practice, what's going on. Take a listen, and I'm curious your reaction to this. Here's Brandon Graham on Thursday. I think it starts definitely with practice because, you know, some of the stuff that's showing up out there, I mean, we're just being real with ourselves. It's happening in practice, jumping off sides, pre-snap penalties, uh, false starts, uh, you know, p- people dropping balls, us not getting off the rock, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's just all stuff that we just need to, you know, hone in on, like, as, as a team. And I, I think that we're doing a good job addressing that elephant in the room because, you know, you kind of just – Want to say, oh, everything is gonna be, it's gonna be all right, it's gonna be all right. But now we at a point now where we know that stuff is affecting us, and we just gotta, we gotta clean that up. And you know, we gotta make sure that we we policing that uh, when we see stuff happening in practice. Kev, when I hear uh, uh, the the most veteran mm-hmm. player on the team say how players mm-hmm. aren't holding themselves, or players aren't being held accountable, I mean, what the hell's going on with this coaching staff? Well, and, and I think you're right. I mean, that, that's an, that's a sign to me that the coaching staff, when the players are starting to argue that, you know, the practice issues are creeping in and the head coach won't acknowledge it, that's a head coach that's looking out for his own future and not acknowledging maybe what's going on or, or willing to look at his own kind of ha- habits and what has taken place here. Brandon Graham's speaking the truth here. I mean, it, you don't make the mistakes that this team makes on a constant basis and not see that it's a major practice breakdown or, or a game plan breakdown. Look at, you know, last week Chris Spielman was all over this on Fox and talking about how effective Wentz is when he breaks out of the pocket and throws on the run mm-hmm. as opposed to just sitting back and laying back and absorbing hits and sitting from the pocket. Now, are you going to need Carson Wentz to get through that at some point in his career? Yeah, because he's not going to be able to move outside. But you've got to play to his strengths at the present moment. And what we've seen through this multi-tiered coaching staff that they have without a true offensive coordinator with 20 different assistants, with Marty Morningwig and, and, and everything, Press Taylor and all that, they have not adjusted. And they have not adjusted their game plan. And this is a problem. You're not seeing coaches adjust, and you're not seeing coaches crack down on problems that they're seeing and and really forcing guys to pay a price. Right. Well, I, what I'm most – I mean, you know, I know the seven, next seven games will tell us, but I'm curious your best read into this. When no, John, John, I'll correct you. What's that? Tomorrow tells us. Well, you know, you, because if you, don't, yeah. cause if you don't win tomorrow, it's over. Yeah. Because you're going to lose the next four. Yeah. Well, does well to this point, and if if you are true, and we find out tomorrow how they respond, uh, but to this point, I mean, you've covered so many coaches uh, over the decades. When you see what is going on with Doug Peterson right now, is it more that Doug might be a little bit lost, or the team has checked out on Doug? Um, I don't know if the team has checked out on Doug. I think Doug. Doug isn't willing to throw a hammer down on him. Uh, I think I can say this. It's the substitute teacher syndrome in a way mm. uh, where you like Doug because he's not shit. Uh, you know, you like Doug because Doug's a nice guy. Doug treats you nice and all that. 
but you don't necessarily work. Well, it's time for Doug to show the other side of it. Right. And if Doug's not willing to do it, then that's on Doug. That's not on the players. That's on Doug who has to step up and, and, and make the call and, and be kind of the tough guy at this point. You know, even a couple weeks ago, you know, we made so much about a Favre comment or the, the lack of defense of Wentz. It was almost like Doug didn't want to alienate Brett Favre. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It, it, so he, he tries to straddle the line and you can't do that. You know, look at the effective coaches. Look at Bruce Arians. Look at Sean Payton. Look at, um, you know, look down at Belichick, obviously. Guys who are willing to kind of take a stand and just kind of ride with it. Mm-hmm. And can you be a little thick-headed and, and stubborn? Sure. But I think Doug right now is trying to be a little bit too much of their friend, and it's time for that to stop. And I agree with you. Kevin Cooney, nice enough to join us tonight. Final Eagles question I have for you, Kev, because this is – you sort of answered this but didn't uh, in a prior question that I had for you. When it comes to Doug, though, what and the whole rapport relationship with the players, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. As it pertains to putting together a game plan and using the most recent example, uh, playing against the Giants, two weeks to prepare, and it was the most vanilla offense ever – you didn't design mm-hmm. anything to help your your struggling quarterback. You abandoned the run yet again. It seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Doug Peterson's game plans are that of like a collegiate program where it's like, this is how I run things, and you guys have to fit around what I do, not the other way around. There's something to be said about that. But, but think about, you know, one thing with collegiate programs, look at great collegiate programs. Those guys are the, the, the commander in chiefs. I mean, and they don't. Once they get the guys in the building, they don't really care how these guys react. You think Nick Saban, once he, once he gets somebody on campus, is really worried about their feelings, mm-hmm. or or Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, or, or you know, right? But but the point I right, but the case I'm making is because this is the professional rank where you have a you're paying a quarterback a hundred and some million dollars where. Well, I mean, he's going to have, you know, uh, strengths and weaknesses. Aren't you going to want to design your game plan to make him most effective as opposed to here's how I Uh, run things, you got to figure it out? Well, and and I would say you're right that those coaches adjust to the talent they have. You're right. But I would also say that there's something here. It's just there's a disconnect that kind of goes with the whole – the whole game plan issue that they have. They don't really connect game plan-wise because I don't know if Doug knows what he wants to be, you know? Yeah. I, I think Doug I think Doug wants to be – Doug has a little bit of Andy in him, but Andy also knew how to adjust in a way to the talent he had, and Doug hasn't shown that yet. Right. Um, Kev, on to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh what changed uh, since uh, Middleton spoke and McPhail spoke about the whole, you know, who's going to uproot in a pandemic <laughs> and it may take a year to find uh, the next general manager or president? Uh, what changed? Well, Andy McPhail's words, once again, went over like a lead balloon. That's one. And two, you see what happened. The Angels hired a GM. The Marlins hired a GM. All these other teams have made moves and, and solidified themselves. And I think John Middle and look, I like I can't wait for a year at this point. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they are now going down this road. The question is, can they bring in the ultimate, which is the, the head of player, you know, like the president? Even more than a GM, can they get a president 
who will oversee the whole operation, given that Andy McPhail is going to be gone next year. So I think what maybe, to answer your question, maybe John Middleton heard Andy McPhail say those words and went, that sounds completely ridiculous. It's a lead balloon, and they ain't going over well. Right. Um, are the Phillies two years away from being two years away? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I mean, no. I'll, I'll, John, I'll make the argument. They're the worst. They're the worst team in the division right now. Oh no! After all these years of re- of starting over and acquiring Harper and Girardi and Nolan now in his prime, it's all for naught. I mean, if you think about it, all right, the Marlins just made the playoffs, and they have Kim Kim Nang who Kim Nang who. It brings a wealth of experience, even though she hasn't been in a GM seat before, has been with the Dodgers and the Yankees and knows how those organizations operate. And you may have a little bit of a payroll bump coming up for that organization. But the Braves are loaded. The Mets now have a new owner who has deep pockets and who is willing to invest, not just in free agents now, but in the farm system going forward. Mm-hmm. The Nationals are your best hope in backsliding, but they have a superior farm system than the Phillies and three like Cy Young caliber starting pitchers. Tell me what the Phillies have that's close. Yeah, they they don't have much of any of that. No center fielder, no second baseman, no shortstop that you can count on at this point. No catcher that you know you're going to have. Oh you're going to have to look for another left. You're going to have to look for a platoon left fielder. And, you know, you're not sure on the first baseman because he's coming off an injury. And you need a whole new bullpen. And two starting catchers. Oh, and oh, by the way, great. (laughs) Oh, by the way, a general manager and new president. Oh my god! I mean, look, and I get it. Like, this is one of the limitations. You know, everybody thinks about John Middleton as being this endless supply of cash. Mm -hmm. Okay, but Steve Cohen has cash coming in. John Middleton cashed out. You know, like with with the cigar company, and he obviously has some other business interests, but it's not to the same level of Steve Cohen. And it's not a major corporation like the Braves have behind them, okay? Right. That is the scary part here. I don't blame him for wanting to cut a little bit of the payroll back, okay? Mm-hmm. But are they going to be able to compete at this point going forward because they don't have the you – know, they don't have to be pockets of some of these people. In well, the and that's anymore. the – but, Kev, that's the – here's the problem, though. You're you could be speaking the absolute truth about John Middleton's financial situation, and that at a certain point in time and, and he has. Not, and I'm not and I'm not worried about him like not having dinner. You know, no, I mean, you're right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different level of living that we can't relate to. But then you can't make those ridiculous statements that he made about winning or die trying. You can't do it. You set yourself up like this. While I agree, I can also say that I'm sure he never thought he would have a year where he had zero fans in attendance. Yeah. I mean, and so, you know, we we bash it. The Phillies are an organization that relies so much on baseball being played and games and, and, and the stadium being filled and souvenirs being sold and all that compared to other entities within the sport who have endless amounts of, of finances that come in through other areas. Yeah. Okay, that can be readjusted. You know, I don't know if the Phillies are in that same area right now. I they could be, but but I kind of have my question when you look at the other teams and other owners who have other business interests. Right. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I hate the fact that you're spewing the, tr- the truth, Kev. Kevin Cooney, uh, Philly's columnist for the Philly Voice, working the beat podcast with Mike Kern, uh, which I believe will be returning uh, next week. Is that correct, Kev? Well, we always have this possibility of a of a Sunday outrage if they if the Ooh. Eagles lose that we both decide to vet, but more likely it'll be Tuesday. So. Oh, the, the reactionary shows are always the best because that's where you get the uh, the true feelings come out, and especially with the Colonel. Well, Mike, Mike's never uh, he doesn't mince words anyway. No, Mike 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 doesn't have a, a temper control. He just goes <laughs> up and down. So. Uh, for uh, links to the uh, all the, for the latest episodes to the Working to Be podcast, the latest stories uh, from Kevin, uh, you should be following him on Twitter at Kevin Cooney. Kev, thanks, man. All right, thanks, John. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.